Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Welcome to Football Digest, the morning after the night before. England could only manage a nil-all draw with the United States, meaning their place in the last 16 of the World Cup is still not 100% guaranteed, heading into the Wales clash on Tuesday. They were unable to break down the US, who were impressive in their own right, with Gareth Southgate facing plenty of questions this morning about his side's inability to create chances and to run the midfield. This morning, I'm joined by Andy Dunn and John Cross, live from Doha, as we review the United States match and look forward to Wales. John, your overall assessment of what we saw in that magnificent stadium last night. Yeah, it was a magnificent stadium, actually, um, which was a bizarre thing, really. It's absolutely just that stands there as a beacon right in the middle of the desert, in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, and it felt a little bit surreal. I mean, I, I actually think it was, yeah, it was a pretty d- dismal um game wasn't it from England's point of view I guess I guess the United States would argue that it wasn't quite so dull but um from 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 an English perspective it certainly felt like it was um I just I thought England started okay first 10 minutes and then just got into a terrible kind of rut and they just seemed so sluggish and slow and and the opposite of everything that they were against Iran frankly they didn't move the ball particularly quickly um, Andy disagrees with me because we're basically we set up in the, in the stands in, in kind of in jackets and cardigans, but it did seem a bit sort of humid and sort of balmy evening. So I don't know whether that played a part. I suspect it did, but it just didn't click. They didn't move the ball, and um, you know there was one Mason Mount really good chance just before the end of the first half. Harry Kane had a shot early blocked early on, and then we thought, oh, Gareth Southgate will definitely tweak this, and it will get better after half-time because the USA had completely dominated. And then that just never happened. It was more of the same. And it really became a rear-guard action. And I thought Harry Maguire was absolutely outstanding. He led the defensive rear-guard action. And um, England just really struggled to make any sort of inroads in, into the United States. Yeah, and it was it was really disappointing. I thought it was a bit of a reality check, really, a bit of a chastening for England, simply because after getting so giddy and optimistic after the Iran game, um, you, you know, this brought us crashing back down to earth. I don't know quite where it leaves us because obviously, you know, England are surely into the knockout stages, but for all, um, you know, but for all, just being a formality, really. Um, uh, I can't see them losing 4 0 to, to or a four goal margin to Wales. That's what it would take. So, yeah, they kind of got the job done, but not in very satisfactory fashion, really, at all. Yeah, um, a 4 0 uh, defeat, unlikely. Uh... I mean, that's the standard of teams like Hungary that will beat England 4-0, not Wales. Um, But you just never know in this game, I guess. Um, Andy, we got used to seeing a certain England in the Nations League throughout 2022, where it was a bit, here we go again. Um, And then it seemed they blew those cobwebs away against Iran, and we thought, okay, they've arrived at the World Cup. This is how they're going to play. Everything is A-OK again. But are we kind of one step forward, two steps back in these two performances between the Iran game and the United States game? Um, a little bit, but it's, it's funny you should make a, a, a reference to Hungary there. I know it was a flippant reference, but I think it's pertinent all the same because don't forget, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they did come into this tournament not in great form. They came in on the back of 
um, six games without a win. And people might say, well, you know, they're only friendly. So they weren't friendlies. They were Nations League games. They were competitive games. You know, that's what the Nations League was designed for. They were competitive games against very good teams, against Germany, against Italy, and against Hungary, as you say. So they came in not in good form, both collectively and also several individuals were not in good form. You know, just not picking on him, but just, for example, Raheem Sterling, who again was poor last night. So the overall picture is of an England team not in good form. You can now look back at the Iran game and say, well, there were sort of um, circumstances that, that benefited England. It was a very emotional game for Iran. What happened before the game, um, they lost their keeper early on. And, you know, I mean, when you actually look at it, it was one of those games, bizarrely, where literally everything everything England hit in and around the Iran penalty area went into the net. Um, you know, I think it was six goals from seven shots on target. You know, that's, that's not going to happen every game. So, yes, it is a reality check, as John says. And, yes, one step forward, two back, maybe. But I don't think, you know, it should be any surprise that they put in a performance that, you know, there the, the wasn't fluence, that that was that they had to battle it out. And they did battle, you know, they, they, the United, again, the United States were, you know, they were a good team. They were extremely athletic. Um, they had a plan, um, which they executed perfectly. Uh, amongst other things, what I thought they did was they identified, um, not surprisingly, considering how much we've hyped him up, they, they identified Jude Bellingham and they basically pressed him out of the game. And they pressed him out of the game, that left arm midfield. It left Declan Rice overloaded and we just couldn't get a grip in midfield, couldn't get the ball forward enough, uh, quickly enough in transition and hence created very few chances. Even that Mason Mount chance that John referred to, actually the pass deflected off a defender into his path. That was slightly fortuitous as well. So yes, it is a reality check. It is a reminder. It is a reminder that, that we've come into this tournament on the back of quite a long spell when... Um, certain key players on in the best form, um, and it, and that's why it will be an achievement if we go very deep into the tournament. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, I'll tell you. I mean, I'm back here. I'm in Britain at the minute, and and the reaction this morning, you know, and and even last night, um, you know, the analysis on ITV, for example, uh, Talksport this morning, um, people I'm chatting to in the WhatsApp groups and things like that. It's a very very downcast mood actually. But John you still have four points from, from the opening two games and in a pretty good position to progress. I mean, should people be less fussy about the manner in which England qualify from a group and not get so carried away with the performances? Is there, you know, are we throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit here with this, with this performance? Do, do, do you know what, Peter? I do think it's um, interesting in that basically, you know, I was, I was quite flat after it. Blimey, Harry Kane could have nicked it at the end. Then what would we have said? I think it would have obviously been smash and grab, but we would have been really happy with that, to be honest. Um, and, you, and you take that all day long. And then almost in unison, almost in chorus, people were sort of saying, you know, when we were, we were walking away from the mix zone where, where sort of the journalists go to sort of kind of do their post-match interviews with players and, and such forth um, after the game, um, we were saying, oh, remember what happened in the Euros with Scotland? I mean, I do remember that. And then basically England won their first game against Croatia, which was a hard game, uh, won the really war, war of attrition, and then had an awful performance against Scotland when, frankly, Scotland could have nicked it. And everyone was feeling so flat, so 
down and then look what happened basically i mean it was you know england went on an incredible journey won their final game and then you know uh, 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 you know it, it they came so close so i do think you kind of got to got to keep it in context but also i do think that touches on the fact that in tournament football i think you're right basically you just get the job done um i do think where style is almost more important is the confidence that it breeds and the mood that it sets. So it doesn't really matter quite so much if you have the odd game where you just eke out the result and do do just enough. But where it matters for me is just remember the mood and what it meant and the confidence and the belief that it gave the players after a run. That's that's why it's important for me, more than sort of entertainment point of view, which, listen, I want to see an attacking England team playing nice football, score goals, create chances, do nice things, basically, of course. But I think it's much more important about the confidence that it brings about hitting form at the right time to give you a belief that you can actually go on and win the tournament. And and how is that confidence at the moment? Andy, I'll ask you this. Um, I watched some of the interviews uh, last night, um, you know, the, the flash interviews, the pitch side ones, and Harry Maguire mm-hmm. and Harry Kane both repeated the... the the exact same phrase that I'm assuming was given to them by somebody within the FA, which was, this leaves us in a great position in the group. It came yeah. up again and again. Is that, is that really how the players feel after delivering a performance like that last night? Or is that sort of papering over the cracks? No, no, I, I think it is. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, you know, go a broader um, sort of um, selection of evidence is how they've been over, over the whole camp here. You know, they are a confident bunch. They're confident on the back of they are not basing um, their level of confidence on on those nation leagues games. They're basing their confidence on their tournaments experience, on what they've done in previous tournaments. Because don't forget, I think it's twenty or twenty one players out of the twenty six um, were, were, were involved in the in the Euros and are involved here. An awful lot of players were involved at World Cup two thousand eighteen. So they believe they know how to handle tournament football. They believe they have a manager who has proven by getting to a semi-final final that he knows how to navigate his way through a tournament, the nuances of a tournament, if you will. And that's what it's all about. I agree. Listen, you can't deny when Gareth Southgate says that very few teams go through with nine points. It's absolutely true. They don't. You know, I mean, that's just a, um, a fact. And if you just said, listen, I, I mean, it's a it, 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 it's a little bit condescending towards Wales, but you would expect England to win on, on current form. And if you just said at the start of this tournament, England qualified top of the group with seven points, then clearly it's something that everyone would have accepted. So I think the confidence is based on the fact that they've been there, done it. Harry Kane's been there, done it. Harry Maguire has been there and done it. And again, someone like Maguire stepped up last night. So I think that's where the confidence um, emanates from. I think the issue they've got is that is that they've got players to say who are not playing, you know, particularly well at the moment. And now it's down to Southgate to you know, and he'll he'll have one eye on the on the on the first knockout stage. Uh, he'll say, "Listen, let's get the job done," but he will have one eye on the first knockout stage, which is what you do in tournaments. Um, it's up to him now to try and come up with. Um, uh, you know, what he thinks is his best team, not only for the Wales game, but for whoever we play, which, by the way, will be one of Netherlands, Ecuador or Senegal. Again, much of a muchness, really. You know, you wouldn't, I wouldn't sit here now and say, well, I would prefer 
Netherlands to Ecuador to Senegal or Senegal to Ecuador and Netherlands or, you know, any combination of. I think, you know, I think it's quite a kind draw. But now I don't think it'll, it'll dent the confidence. I think they're, they're naturally a confident bunch, but I think Gareth Southgate has selection issues after that last night. Yeah, and not least uh, in midfield, perhaps uh, mm. ahead of this ahead of this Wales game. Um, I'll Absolutely. stick with you for. I'll stick with you, Andy. Yeah. Um, I want to. I want to get into maybe some of the issues that are arising from the game last night. Um, you know, we had Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, and a player that was actually in the England youth ranks for a long time in Eunice yes. Musa. And they um, not only matched up at sort of an all-star Premier League midfield, but probably edged it in in the midfield battle. Is that a fair assessment of of what you guys saw in the stadium? Completely fair assessments. I mean, absolutely a fair assessment. As I say, I think, you know, I mean, the Bellingham situation, it's a lot to ask. You You know, I mean, yes, we all know that he's an incredibly mature player for 19 years of age, but he is only 19. You know, you can't expect him to run a game um, like maybe he did against Iran, you know that that, that that's not going to happen every single game. And they had a plan for him, and that worked. As I say the balance then is disrupted because you want Declan Rice then to be more proactive, but he ends up sort of firefighting a little bit. I mean, clearly Mason Mounts had a very poor game as well. And again, that's he's one of the players that I referred to earlier. Individual form taken from the domestic game from the Premier League and, and the Champions League, Mason Mount has not been in good form. You know, and that was evident last night from his touch. So I think the United States harried them, um, upset them, got on top of them. I mean, to the extent where, you know, he brought Jordan Henderson on, you know, which was probably one substitute that we that we didn't see coming. The big discussion as well, or one of the big discussions um was of course the absence of Phil Foden. I mean, that, that is, that, that is one I, I would guess Peter, that's got a lot of people watching at home wondering, well, I could tell from social media, you know, people like Gary Neville saying, you know, where on earth is Phil Foden, the most talented player by a mile and other people, you know, here and, you know, onlookers from other countries, I think if England can leave Phil Foden on the bench, then they must have one hell of a team. And I think that is going to be, you know, his conundrum going forward now. And it'll be interesting to see whether he's obstinate because clearly he didn't start Foden against Iran, came on when the game was done and dusted and didn't get on last night. You know, Rashford got on, Greedish got on, Henderson got on, but no Phil Foden. And when I asked it, Gareth about it after the game, it, 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 it was none too convincing really. His answer just said, listen, we think he's a super talent. And had he come on, maybe it'd be different, but, you know, it was our choice on the night. And simple as that. So it'd be interesting to see what he does with Foden now going forward. Yeah, uh, I mean, Foden was a big talking point uh, back home here. And I and I would say maybe Brazil aside, I, I, I think Foden starts for the other 30, 31 countries at, at, at this World Cup. And I know there's some other managers at the tournament are probably scratching their heads wondering how we can't get into the England team. John, that Henderson substitution was a, a bit of a bellwether substitution, I thought. Um, I mean, the reaction to that one from the England fans, I know that there, there was suggestions that England were booed off at the end. I didn't quite pick up on that uh, on the television, I'll be honest. Uh, but I can't imagine the reaction to that particular substitution was um, went down particularly well within the stadium. <laughs> Uh, yes and no. I didn't. I didn't feel that negativity. I, I listen. I felt 
who, who played well? And I, I was laughing really there just when you're talking about Phil Foden. Phil Foden is clearly going to be going to be this year's Jack Grealish, isn't he? Because there's suddenly going to be a massive clamour for him, for him to play. And I think that's interesting. But look, break down the performance. I thought Pickford was, Pickford was fine. I thought the back four were good. Shaw, really good. Maguire, man of the match. Stone's excellent. Rice, I thought, shielded well. As as for the rest, um, you know, I just, I, I, yeah, there, were, there wasn't too many, you know, sort of other positives were there, really. And and that's an issue. Well, I mean, everyone's kind of scratching their heads and, you know, as the ball kept on going up and saying, oh, how comes it's not Saka? I just thought Saka would go off because he, he just, as good as he was, and this counts for Bellingham a little bit as well, as good as he was against Iran, I thought it was just disappointing against um, USA and they just they couldn't get it right. I thought here is the thing that England were completely outwitted, outdone, outmaneuvered, and out tacticked, if you like, basically in midfield. And I think that's where the thing, and that's why Rice was so good in that basically he was almost up against it on his own. And that's why I think you saw that substitution. So I think if you step back from it, remove the emotion from it, and say, actually, I'm trying to regain control of the midfield. I don't think Henderson's um, introduction was at all bad. And I think, you know, sometimes we don't give, you know, football fans, England fans, sort of enough credit. I think a lot of them will be going, actually, that was needed. And having sort of exchanged messages with a, with a few who are definitely in the away end, sort of kind of to our left, if you like, there were sections of England fans all over the place, particularly behind both goals. But it was the vociferous lot in the in, over to the left. They were de- they definitely booed the team off. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Gareth Southgate kind of questioned um, that last night, but believe me, having swapped messages with a couple of um, pals sort of in the stadium, there's no doubt about it. They weren't happy. Um, one was, you know, one was saying, "My God, that was an overreaction. It was far too quick." Well, you know, kind of, you know, didn't didn't like it, but it, it, you know. <laughs> heard the booing and basically yeah, everyone around him was booing and he thought that was ridiculously harsh basically because you can't flick a switch and go from Iran to to that there has to be somewhere in the middle and I think that that's a bit of an overreaction a bit of a panic and I just think you know yeah I think England were outdone tactically by, by the United States that's the key for me they basically couldn't get on them in the midfield Bellingham had such control of the game against Iran, couldn't get on it last night. And I think that that was, you know, uh, USA's better tactics. They just they just won it. They, they, they had the midfield nailed down. And I actually thought Henderson came on and made a difference. He actually began to turn the tide a little bit and gave England back a little uh, remnants of control. And... Um... Andy, we saw uh, Harry Kane uh, watching it from the TV. Harry Kane was dropping so deep. Every time he was on the ball, he seemed to be on the ball within the centre circle or even inside his own half. Um, he, he, I th- think he found it hard to be a focal point in that team when England were 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 so overrun within the midfield. Um, how did it look? How did it look uh, to you that that kind of Kane Sterling partnership? They didn't really have any punch up front last night. No, it didn't work. Um, I mean, there were some of our number who, who looked at it and thought and wondered, you know, understandably considering the the scare and the build-up to the game, whether Kane was actually 100% fit. I think he looked okay. I think, he, you know, he, he lasted the game well. Um, and it was one of those games, strangely enough, you know, um, Greg Behalt, the um, US men's coach, um, in his press conference after Gareth, he actually said that 
watching Harry Kane up close and personal in the flesh last night for essentially the first time, he said he he couldn't believe how good he was. He said he was even better than he thought he was watching on TV. I have to say, I didn't quite see that. But, you know, that, that's Harry Kane's game. You, you know, when, when he does that and co- and it comes off, like he did against the Ram, you know, in terms of assists, pre-assists against the Ram, he was the focal point then. It didn't work then. Again, but I do think that the US coach had done his homework on that. Um, they went with him, with Kane. They, 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 they tended, to, you know, several times he dropped deep and two men were on him and two men, um, one of them nipped in the head and got the ball. So that didn't work. Just quickly going back to that midfield as well, though, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what what he does now because it, it, in terms of what other options, you know, Jordan Henderson came on. Now, Calvin Phillips was clearly ahead of Jordan Henderson, um, you know, last year um, and you know a couple of years ago. But obviously, he's brought him, he's brought Calvin Phillips here without any football. Well, with a few minutes of football for Manchester City, so you wonder whether. Again, I'm not talking against Wales in particular because I don't think we'll need two holding midfields against Wales. But going forward, whether Phillips has got a role to play, if he hasn't because he's maybe not match fit enough, then also, of course, he's without Madison at the moment, who hasn't trained with the, the entire squad. So all of a sudden, when 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 people turn around like us, for example, and say, well, it's okay, you can afford to take a couple of players over whom there's a bit of a doubt, Calvin Phillips, James Madison, Kyle Walker... Um, because you've got a 26-man squad, all of a sudden you get a result of performance like this and you wonder whether or not that has been a risk that wasn't worth taking. So it'd be interesting to see. But but yeah, with Kane, you know, you know, so, so I, I, you did... I, half of me wondered last night, well, not... I don't know. I mean, would it be, you know, if Kane has got an issue um, with his injury, which I think Gareth Southgate suggested was more of his foot than his ankle, but if he has got... An issue, you know, I mean, and, and he said, listen, it'd be a brave man who, who rested Kane. But you just do wonder if, if, like, you know, a rest ahead of that, it's a sort of just throwing it out there, really. Would a rest against Wales <clears throat> and him rearing to go in the knockout stages be a bad thing? You know, I mean, we'll, we'll, you know, we've got Rashford, we've got Callum Wilson. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be the end of the world if if Kane maybe just took a bit of a rest ahead of Because uh, he's had an unbelievably busy domestic season, don't forget. You know, he's played every game. You know, I mean, he, he, am I right in thinking that he actually played in the League Cup before it came away, as well as the Premier League? So I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, just thrown out there, if Gareth would consider resting him for that Wales game. I mean, well, the answer is probably no. Well, Andy, what I wanted to get into, I might ask John this, is that what are the what are the unintended consequences, I suppose, of of not taking six points from the opening two games? Means that. You know, players like Harry Kane can have a rest in the final group stage because it's still need a result. Players like Calvin Phillips probably won't start because it's not really one just to stretch your muscles out. They actually, you know, they're playing a derby that means something. Ben White, trying to Alexander-Arnold, guys that maybe would have played in the third game if qualification was already secure are now all of a sudden still on the outside looking in because the first team is probably going to have to play in the third game. Am I right, John, or am I wrong? Yeah, I, I, look, I do think he would have absolutely rested and rotated the team. Just look at what he did, in, you know, against um, Belgium in 2018. And, uh, yeah, you know, listen, he, he took a bit of stick at that at the time. And, you know, because of momentum reasons, you're kind of giving away the group. But actually, it handed England a, a, an easier passage, you know. So it'll be quite interesting to see, you know, because... 
we were trying to work this out last night, what the easier passage might be for England. I mean, surely, surely England are there now. As we say, it would take a four-goal defeat, four-goals, you know, kind of swing, really, basically, uh, for England to lose Wales. Surely that's not going to happen. But I don't think then, in the mood that he's in, he would see it as, even if he knew that finishing second would give them a better passage. Could you really rely on that? Could you really calculate that? I don't think you could. I think that you probably, if you knew you'd won the group, you could definitely bring the changes and make them. But I don't think in these circumstances you would. Having said that, I feel sure that it will change the team. I really do. I mean, obviously it would be unthinkable then. There were so many players a little bit tired, a little bit jaded and, and things that he could change. Um, most notably, perhaps the, the, the wide forwards in, in Saka, Sterling. You know, I, I'm afraid to say, I think that, you know, I wonder whether Jude Belling would now think, well, I wonder whether my place is going to be, you know, up for grabs. I hope not, because I do think that, Bellingham deserves a run in this team. I know Andy doesn't agree with me. I can see him shaking his head, but I'm sorry. You need a, you need a rhythm and you need a, a a flow sometimes. Bellingham's so good. I think that basically just give him that chance. You know, he just reminds me of Gaza 90. You know, he really does. I just think that basically sometimes you just get into a flow. And it's good to see a young player. And I think they need confidence not to be taken in and out like that. Going back to Harry Kane just briefly, I just, I did feel, I mean, it was it was interesting. A couple of colleagues came over to where me and Andy were sat in the press box at halftime and said, oh, it's not fit. Miles off it. Miles it. You know, and basically it's caused him an issue. I've got to say, guys, I actually thought he was better in the second half. Yeah. Um, he, 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 I don't think he was counting or not, if I'm brutally honest. You know, I, listen, every player, right, plays with a bit of pain, I think. You know, you speak to any pro and it's very rare in a season and they're playing completely pain, issue free. And basically that's the reality of of a pro footballer, I think. And I think there's no doubt about it. (laughs) You know, probably took a whack and it it hurt a bit and he's sort of feeling it. I don't think it affected him because even early in the second half, he was, you know, tracking back and the way that he sort of did something within the first couple of minutes, just spraying the ball forward with a beautiful flick. That's Harry Kane. And basically the the biggest, you know, sign that I thought that it wasn't Harry Kane's night was simply that header at the end. I mean, that header right at the death. Well, I mean, Harry Kane normally gobbles those up for Spurs and Spurs grabbed the last, you know, last minute winner or the injury time, you know, clincher. And basically that, that does the trick. And it's so nearly worked for England last night. In my mind, you, you, there's no chance you drop Harry Kane because Harry Kane is two goals short of the uh, of um, Rooney's record, and also Harry Kane will, despite not scoring those opening two games, still believe that he can win the Golden Boot. That's his mentality. That's his belief, and he'll be determined to to to, to basically go and win the Golden Boot from here. Well, he's got to catch uh, Ener Valencia before he's got a chance of, of of doing that, who obviously he went off yesterday in that Netherlands-Ecuador game with what looked like a knee injury. Uh, and that's the next question I want to ask you, Andy, is um, whether you or you know the rest of the press pack that are mm. out there in Doha have, have had a chance to look at Netherlands, look at Ecuador, because I'm looking at that game yesterday and I'm thinking neither Netherlands nor Ecuador are going to be simple opponents for England. Um, no, no, no. We speak about the way that United States uh, hassled and harried and pressed and made sure that England didn't have time on the ball. Ecuador are almost the exact same when they're out of, out of possession. Very, very aggressive, front foot, and then have talented players uh, who can do a lot with the ball uh, when they actually get it themselves. So 
by no means is elastic seam tie uh, assured against neither Netherlands nor nor Ecuador in my book. No, 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 Senegal. I mean, which, whichever, whichever one of those three. Of course, forgive uh, me, Senegal. Yeah, I, I yeah, just yeah. Think Ecuador, yeah, I think yes. Ecuador is going to get through. That's why I haven't really, uh, you know, uh, yeah, included yeah. Senegal in my assessment here. But there are no yeah, slouches yeah. either. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, yeah. We, we watched that game. Um, we watched the Netherlands Ecuador game in the media centre ahead of, of of the England game, and and I totally agree. I mean, it, this idea prior maybe to the. Um, to the tour on the start that maybe Netherlands were the team that we would want to avoid in that in that round of 16 side. I mean that's gone. I I I thought Ecuador a little Ecuador were a little bit unlucky um not to beat the Netherlands. I really did. I was I was mightily impressed with them. Far more impressed than I was when they just simply got the job done against Qatar in that opening game game of the World Cup. So no it's I I I, I, I that's why I said earlier I genuinely think that you could sit here now, and whichever one of those three England end up playing will be will be a challenge. Well, that's how it should be, obviously, in the, in, in the last sixteen. But any idea that, that Ecuador or indeed Senegal, I don't, don't think we've ever had that idea. But the, any idea that Ecuador, if they get through, would be an easier touch than say the Netherlands or Senegal um, has, has gone out the window. You know, they, they, they've been extremely impressive. The one just the, the one thing I, I would say about um, about whether or not, you know, winning the group comes second. Um, is that winning the group, one, you know, it's good to win the group. It gives you confidence. Two, I mean, just on a purely practical level, winning the group will give you an extra day's rest. Simple as that. You know, it's it's um, it's quite straightforward. It, it doesn't really matter where you're playing. I mean, England, if they win the group, will then be um, exclusively, however far they go, at the Albait Stadium, as I say, which is a bit of a jaunt out there. And it will be a late kickoff every time. Um, but really, it doesn't make any difference. It's only 30, 40 miles away. I think the key thing is, and I think Garasalki has referenced this, win the group and you get an extra day's rest. And in these conditions and in tournament football, that can be decisive. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'll just finish off, John. I, I know you guys have to go and watch England train. So I just want to ask you the last question is, having seen everybody play, um, you know, uh, and England and I've done two matches and, and Group A has done two matches as well. Uh, wh- where do you see England fitting in the pecking order uh, at this tournament right now? Um, yeah, okay. So that, 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 that song we were singing the other day is coming home. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure. Sh- I'm not quite sure. I might have lost the second verse. Um, but look, I, I, I still think Okay, I don't think that position has changed particularly that much. So I was optimistic. I get horribly carried away by these things because I just get really, really excited by uh, World Cups and major tournaments. Love to see England do so well. I get, get unashamedly biased on these things. But then basically, I did think it was a bit of a sobering thing. And and Andy, I think, made a good point earlier in the thing. I think it's just a basic brings us back into actually what our form had been like a little bit more. And so maybe, you know, the Iran game is actually out of step rather than the USA, if you like. But I, I actually feel as if England are um, in a second clutch of clubs. And I would have put, you know, um, Argentina within the first clutch, but then they su- suffered now could, you know, it's a real jeopardy day for them, isn't it? Wow. That, you know, they could effectively be looking. Absolutely incredible. huge. What a story, you know, because they're really hard game now against Mexico next. And Germany tomorrow as well, if they lose Absolutely. to Spain. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm, d- I'm doing France, Denmark later. And then, you know, um, 
um, Germany, Spain tomorrow. I mean, wow! These these guys, these huge monsters of, of, of teams, are really facing you know jeopardy now in the second game and could be could be out as quickly as England were in 2014. You know, so so make no mistake about it. This is a, you know huge day for those those two teams. But then look, the other teams that I put in that bracket of the of the three clutch of favourites are France who I think, you know, the big aspect against them is that they're basically they're missing half the first-choice team through uh, through injury. But I still think their replacements are pretty damn good. So I think, I think they're great. And Brazil, you know, Brazil look good. They got the job done. And I think Brazil, you know, have to be favourites, don't they? And, you know, I don't think France are too far behind. And then I think, you know, by the way, can I just throw one in? We talked about well, Phil Foden would get in all all other thirty one teams. I actually think he'd get in the Brazil team um, in place of Rafinha. I think a few would get in, in in place of Rafinha on current form. Frankly, he just hasn't done it quite quite yet for uh, Barcelona. So anyway, we'll see if he can become a fully fledged um, Brazil star. But I digress. But England doing that second clutch um, of, of of teams. I think Spain are definitely. You know, there. I think they could be really, really dangerous. And I don't know beyond that sort of kind of. You, you know, you'd have to say Belgium, maybe England. England are in, in amongst the sort of five. I think five or six that could win it. But I, I, I think that the Brazil and um, France would be the more, more obvious frontline choices. Yeah, and obviously Brazil dealing with the uh, with the knock to Neymar, who looks like he's going to miss the certainly miss the rest of the group stage, and then and then hopefully have him fit for the last sixteen. Um, Andy and John from live from Doha, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me this morning. I really appreciate you guys uh, giving us your time uh, on Football Digest. Um, you can catch up with all their stuff um, either in print or online uh, with the Mirror. Um, I keep an eye out for for everything they're producing from Doha. Uh, give us a like, give us a follow, uh, wherever you get your podcast from. And uh, we shall preview the Wales game uh, early next week. So happy weekend, guys. And um, yeah, enjoy the football. 